The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, the show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by two fine co-hosts. Laura Nash. Nate Heininger. And this week we've got a weird episode. We've kind of got a grab bag kind of thing. Um, and to explain a little bit why we're covering, why we're doing what we're doing this week, um, I, I should start by saying that we're kind of focusing around uh, a retro gaming handheld called the Miu Mini, uh, which we all have. I, uh, I bought one a little while ago after we got the play date. And um, I was so into the size and portability of the Playdate that I, uh, I, you know, decided to uh, to push the buy button on a Miu Mini. Uh, I think what particularly pushed me there was that like there was a, a Game Boy emulator for the Playdate, and it was just kind of terrible. And I was like, you know, maybe I should have an actual thing that will play Game Boy games a little more easily. Um, and uh, so I, I picked it up, and I liked it so much. Uh, that I gave them out as gifts to my co-hosts because I could and it was fun. Um, so now we all have the same thing. Uh, and uh, so we've been, because we did that, we've been playing a bunch of retro games on it. Uh, and we thought we could chat about that this week. I mean, I swear since it arrived, it has been in my hands, my husband's hands, or in the charger. And those, like, it has been... Um, Save for when we had to do a family trip. I think one of us has been playing it pretty continuously. It's been um, very popular in my <laughs> household. No shame to the playdate, but I think we're just like thrilled that it is. Uh, these are games that have been hard to play for various reasons on keyboard emulators for us. And so having the chunky buttons, not having to do a Bluetooth controller to a computer um, has really put us on a nostalgia kick for games we always meant to play and never did yeah yeah uh the miu mini does not have a crank which definitely puts it at a disadvantage compared to the play date and it's but, not yellow and it's not bright yellow but um leave it in the sun a while maybe it'll yellow a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but i have uh, absolutely been in, enjoying it as well i um i've never been uh, i think we talked about this on the on the play date episode i've never been a big like retro gamer but there's obviously there's a ton of games that i i grew up playing and that i loved and that i've tried to play in different capacities over the years and it just never felt good playing it on an emulator um even pairing a controller to my computer to play it on an emulator it just never felt really good i never really it i don't know it just never clicked and i didn't really enjoy it i just like why am i doing this i'll just go and play something else and um this is the first time in really a long time that I've really been playing some old games and feeling, you know, like it feels good. The the tactile uh, feeling of it, the it, it feels like a old Game Boy, you know. So I'm I'm not a very nostalgic person, and this obviously is a, a more significantly higher piece of technology than what we were playing with uh, on our Game Boys back in the day. But um, it's been really nice, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah, and so we're mostly going to spend this episode talking about just you know a handful of games, a totally non-authoritative, pretty much randomly selected. Like, what have we been playing uh, in terms of retro stuff uh, lately, uh, with an eye towards games that we think maybe would be interesting for the short game audience, or or what have you, games that quote unquote fit into your life or whatever. Um, uh, but before we dive into that, I thought, you know, might might be worth talking a little bit about retro gaming handhelds in general, uh, just as a thing, um, because, you know, there is definitely people out there who like, you know, e- either aren't aware that these are a thing or they're the, the market of these mostly sort of Chinese made, uh, you know, emulator handhelds that run like Linux or Android it's kind of a weird scene and if you're not like into the tech side of it it can be a little obtuse and difficult to figure out like well would this actually be fun to use or which of these myriad of weirdly named devices from companies i've never heard of make sense to actually buy um the Mio mini does seem like it fits sort of like in an it, i think it's a, a real sweet spot and it's been really really popular which is part of why i picked it up it's like wow this thing's really you know 
people seem to like it a lot. Um, but there's a whole sort of ecosystem or scene of these small emulator based handhelds for playing retro games on. Uh, and it's a, there's a lot of them. Uh, there's companies like Anbernick and, you know, weird name, weird names like Pow Kitty that uh, come out with these things at what seems like a kind of absurd pace. You know, if you actually pay attention to this stuff, like, you know, suddenly they'll be like, everyone's talking about the Pow Kitty RGB 10 this week. And then next week, everyone has moved on and is talking about the Anbernick RG 380V or something like that. They all have these names like that. They don't tell you anything about the device. They don't really tell you anything about what's, what it's good for or not good for or how it compares to other other devices in this space. So if you are interested in them, you kind of have to do a lot of research um, to like tell like, okay, is this going to be good? And if it is good, am I going to have to screw with it a lot to, 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 you know, make it run the games that I want? Are the games I want to run on it going to play well, that kind of thing. Um, so the main thing I would say is like, if you are sort of thinking maybe you're in the market for uh, a better handheld or pocketable way to play retro games, there are a lot of resources out there. Uh, there's some good YouTube channels. Um, I would particularly point people to uh, a YouTube channel called Retro Game Core, you know, Retro Game C-O-R-P-S. Um, he's a, a, a YouTuber who does mostly sort of very in-depth hands-on reviews of basically every single one of these types of devices that comes out. Uh, extremely in-depth stuff. But he also does overview videos, usually about once a year. That's like, here's all of the handhelds that you can go on uh, Amazon or places like AliExpress and buy today. And here's what their various strengths and weaknesses are. Um, we're going to be talking mostly about the Miu Mini, mostly because it is a kind of a Goldilocks of these devices. It's very small. So it's about the size of a pack of cards. In fact, it's so close to the size of a pack of cards that if you want a nice case for it, it comes with a case. But if you want a nicer case for it, you can buy cases that are designed to hold a pack of playing cards and they will fit it almost exactly. I ended up going on a website that sells um, uh, accoutrement for stage magicians and buying a nice leather uh, <laughs> card case for it. And it's uh, it's actually really it feels great. Um, but the, uh, the Mio mini is, uh, it's very small. It looks a lot like an actual game boy. They have different color schemes and everything, but it, it really resembles visually the old game boys that you're used to only sort of a more modern take on it. It's got a nice, uh, you know, I think it's like three inch or something screen and it's, you know, relatively high resolution for one of these. Um, and, uh, it's got, you know, the full set of buttons that you would expect, and in terms of performance, it will play games basically from all of the old 8-bit systems up through about the PlayStation 1. There are fancier, more expensive ones of these types of things that will play games like even GameCube or, or uh, Dreamcast games. And uh, that's not really what this, this device is for. Um, but it's also at a really, really nice price point. It's about $60. Um, if you go and look on AliExpress, which is a you know site that it's basically the like uh, uh, direct to consumer sales for Alibaba. Uh, so a lot of Chinese uh, device makers sell their stuff direct on AliExpress and you search for Miu Mini, you'll find uh, the official Miu Mini store is there. And there's also a bunch of third party resellers that also sell it there. And you can see it priced generally in about the $60 range. If you want it faster and you want to buy it from a US seller, you can pay a little bit of a premium and buy it on Amazon. And you'll get it a lot faster. Um, but you might pay up to like I've seen some people on Amazon selling it for like 100 bucks, which don't do that. Just wait the extra two weeks or whatever. And uh, it's I think I think it hits a really nice sweet spot because it has this really nice form factor. It's pretty easy to like, you know, it's got a simple, easy way to load games on it and everything. Um, not too expensive. Feels pretty high quality. Um but it also has really good software support um, because while the, the official software that comes out for the Miu Mini uh, from Miu, the company that makes the thing, is fine. It runs a sort of version of Linux that has a nice skin on top of it to just make it give you a pretty basic uh, like game list kind of thing. There's a couple of different options for community software that you can install instead of the official software that you know gives you a sort of nice uh, interface. And... Um, uh, I particularly would recommend people check out one called Mini UI, which is a nice, very streamlined, very simple 
uh, user interface for the Miu Mini that uh, is designed by a guy who also worked on the Playdate. Uh, it's designed by uh, Sean Inman, uh, who is one of the developers who works at Panic and has released. He was the one, for example, who is the main developer of Ratcheteer, which was the most recent game that I've gotten on my Playdate. Um, and so he's just into these small handhelds, I guess, both in his job, job type job, and in his hobbies, and released a really nice user interface update for the Miu Mini uh, as a hobby project. Um, so it's kind of nice to have that connective tissue there, but also it's nice to have uh, a like something that's done by designers with design chops rather than sort of just a hodgepodge like you tend to get with these uh, these retro gaming handhelds. So anyway, that was a uh, a very long uh, explanation of why we have why we're talking about the Mew Mini in particular. Um, do you guys have any impressions or thoughts about it before we uh, dive into talking about games? Well, I did want to say before we started recording, Reagan said he has a tight three minutes on all the different options, and I said, "Listen, this is Reagan's Retro Corner. This mm-hmm. is an entire episode of Reagan's Retro Corner. There's no way that <laughs> is only going to be three minutes." And I'll give it to you, Reagan. It was six minutes. So <laughs> you know, so only could have gone on. I have only, I have a lot more to say about the the history of the retro gaming handheld market. Oh, I know Maybe. you could. I have dark, I have dark historical stories to tell. I was involved in a uh, a Kickstarter back uh, almost ten years ago, Nate, back when I was living in St. Louis for a uh, a pioneering retro gaming handheld called the GCW Zero, and I could tell you weird stories about that. the uh, The software that runs on the Mew Mini is a uh, uh, distant relative of the software that came out on on that device that i was involved in the kickstarter for so like i follow the uh the retro gaming handheld scene pretty closely even though i kind of took a break away from it for a while um but like i you know it's it's just something that's always been interesting to me this this uh this scene of like chinese companies putting out these kind of sketchy but also technically legit uh, devices that run Linux, run open source emulators, um, but you know everyone wink and nod knows that these things are are used for uh, for you know pirated ROMs, and some of them right. even come with pirated ROMs on there, and you know it's, well, it's a weird scene. It's all smells like uh, smells like Patreon content to me. So if you want to hear more about <laughs> Reagan's dark, twisted retro fantasies, um, you know, please check out the Patreon. Maybe we'll do a bonus episode and you can, yes. you know, regale us with these uh, these tales. Um, Thank you, Nate. This is Patreon content. It's the politest way to say <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think it's a compliment. People should have to pay to hear that stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Nate. I will say when I got my hands on it, I was um, very excited, but a little worried because uh, I thought it was going to be very sharp. Um, but I will say the form factor is quite nice. I can fit it in one of my little tiny palms, um, a very small palms. This has been a recurring uh, way that I review hardware on the show is how happy I am to hold it for long periods of time. And usually the answer is not. Um, this one, very happy to hold for a long time. Um, yes, I had, uh, for folks who cannot see me on video, I, when I was uh, taking piano classes, I had to actually do finger exercises to stretch to an octave because my palm is very small. Um, so most often even a like a steam deck is something that i'm worried about weight and size and mm-hmm. um a switch feels good in my hands for a long time but i often end up leaning it on something so um when i'm dealing with a console like this i worry about the weight distribution and i worry about the size and i had no problems with this this thing is tiny and light and it fits in my purse and it fits in shitty women's pockets yes yeah this thing fits in in the pockets of Every pair of pants I have uh, put it in the pockets of, which is something because like, you know, I I like portable game systems. I've got a lot of them. I've, you know, I've carried around a 3DS and things like that, but nothing is ever truly like a pocketable thing. I don't own any um, cargo pants, at least not at the moment. (laughs) Um, And so the idea of like, quote unquote, pocket gaming has never really been a thing for me, at least not since I was a kid. Um, but this is something that can legitimately go in my pocket and not make me walk funny. Uh, and that's yeah. something I really like. I, I'll say it. The only times that my hands have gotten, my hands have gotten cramped playing this, but that's mostly because it is small. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is a novelty and one I, I don't really mind too much because it does um, remind me a bit of the kind of Game Boy fatigue you'd get of little yeah. buttons together. It's it's that didn't bother me very much. Um, I will say that the number one thing keeping me from carrying the play date around was the screen wasn't reflective and this is backlit and I can play it anywhere. And mm-hmm. I um, loved it when I was on public transportation. This is a much better friend for that than the play date. Yeah. The screen is nice and bright, which is, is very helpful for me. I talked about that on the play date episode. Like I already struggle with like brightness on things. And so with the play date, I pretty much need like, a bright ass light right down on it. And this, uh, once I figured out how to increase the brightness on it, I, it, I've been able to play it basically anywhere. Um, yeah. and, and when I, when I, whenever, um, I saw it for whatever reason, I guess I had like the play date in my mind. I was expecting it to be like metal, like the mm-hmm. play date is, which I really like. I think the play date feels great. Um, and so when I got this, I was like, Oh, it's plastic. Like that's, that's cool. It's not as, uh, the play you know, not, is rich. <laughs> yeah. And, but then I actually realized that I kind of like the plastic, you know, besides the, like it basically it's the same thing as it, as a game boy. Um, it is so light that that's nice. Yeah. Um, it's basically like easiest to describe as like, I'm pretty sure, you know, Nintendo was doing all those retro, uh, mini consoles with the, the, uh, the NES and the SNES. And this really feels like, this is really close to what Nintendo probably would or will come up with if they do a Game Boy Mini. It feels yeah. like a Game Boy in all the ways that matter, and it looks a lot like a Game Boy, but it is way smaller than any Game Boy, even like than the Game Boy Pocket. Um, but it also benefits from like you know twenty thirty years of uh, of you know, progress in hardware. It's using a lot of off the shelf. Um, like smartphone parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you open the thing up, its screen is basically like an old salvaged part from BlackBerry smartphones, which is nice. Like, you know, if you're if you're somebody like Miu, you can't go to a screen manufacturer and like order up the perfect screen for your device. Uh, you kind of have to use what's available and they're using uh, this incredibly high resolution, very nice smartphone screen from one of the only smartphones that used a four by three screen in the modern era, those weird blackberries. And it's got other nice like smartphone stuff too. It charges over USB C. It's got a you know a nice modern rechargeable battery that uh that is like an off-the-shelf smartphone style battery. Like, you know, it, it's good stuff. Um the one hardware complaint I have about it is the the rear buttons. It it uses I think it I, I find the like D pad and it's like face buttons really nicely sized and really comfortable to use. Um, the uh, the you know it puts a set of triggers on the back because this thing will play up through about the PlayStation mm-hmm. and so it has L one L two R R two R one R two on the back. Um, and they're placed in a place that is not super comfortable. So like for me, uh, they're fine if a ga- I'm fine with it if it's a game, if I'm playing a game that doesn't make a, a lot of use of the triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, ac- so like, for example, I'm playing um, Final Fantasy Tactics on it. We'll talk about some of the things we're playing in a minute. But like I'm playing Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, which is a PlayStation game, runs surprisingly well. It's fine. Um, and that makes use of the triggers, but it's only for ca- camera control. So it's you know, it's, it's, it's light, but like I tried, for example, playing some racing games on it, uh, like Ridge racer and stuff. And those make a little heavier use of the triggers, uh, or even some, uh, game boy advanced stuff that makes pretty heavy use of the triggers. And that was a little fatiguing after a while, because just the way that it wants you to place your fingers on the back of the device and kind of press in or, or, you know, towards the screen from the back, um, that was a little uncomfortable after a while, but otherwise I'd say like, I give this thing very high marks for just, hardware feel and usability and everything. Yeah. The only use of the triggers I've had so far is I'm playing uh legend of Zelda Minish cap and they're using a uh, left and right triggers for a lot of menuing, like walk up to a person and like put your two little coin pieces together and see if they fit that kind of thing, which is very like opt in. It's not in a pressure filled situation. Um, similarly, I believe like Pokemon used it for some like extra menu type hotkeys. So they're necessary, but they are not used in combat or trigger happy situations. So I've been fine in that. Um, I 
would caution you to pick the game you want to play based a little bit on your control schema. You can't always know, but I, I wouldn't pick something that is using those as primary inputs for sure. Yeah. Or just, you know, go into it knowing that, you know, you may need to hold it funny. Well, listen, if you can't tell, we love these things and we think you mm-hmm. will too. So when you go to Alibaba.com, make sure you enter our promo code. <laughs> the short game. Uh, I, I also worry we might be telling everyone these things are so cool. We're obsessed with them and no one can get them. So I will yeah, say that the rest of our conversation will hold if you are interested in uh, short retro games on any platform. Yeah. And again, like you know, this applies to any retro gaming handheld for the most part. Like if you, I kind of keep my ear to the ground with this scene. So if you're like thinking, hey, I want to get a retro gaming handheld and I just want to bounce like, hey, is this a good one uh, or should I buy it here or whatever kind of question off of somebody who I'm not going to claim to be the world's biggest expert. But like I, I keep my ear to the ground on this stuff. Um, you know, hit me up on our discord. Happy to chat about it. Reagan will drive to your house. And help you set it up. <laughs> and I will I will give you Patreon content right into your ear while you're trying to sleep. Um, it's, it's a fun scene if you uh, if you don't mind a little bit of screwing around with things, because almost any of these does require a little bit of fiddling. None of these is quite as polished as like a like an off the shelf Nintendo product or whatever. But I it, mean, Reagan did a ton of the customization on our behalf. But I'll say even I got a bit of fiddling because I wanted to make sure that um, things were displaying at um aspect ratio size taking advantage of the full screen rather than the original resolution so if you're someone who's comfortable with a little bit of fiddling um just like getting a digital camera for the first time or like i think there's a little bit of fussiness intrinsic in these platforms yeah so just be prepared for it you don't have to quite get on the um like pulling out an electronics kit for it you can but you don't have to, but you will probably need to go into some menus and look at advanced options if you want to really be picky about what the machine is going to do. Yeah. And depending on your machine, you may even end up wanting to do some research on different um, custom firmwares mm-hmm. or install you know, alternate versions of emulators or something like that to get the best experience. Um, and that is sort of like opt-in on most of these. In almost all cases, these things will come out of the box ready to run the basics mm-hmm. just fine. Um, but if you want to spend some time tweaking, then there's like a whole community of people out there who are like tweaking these things and trying to make them better, um, which I think is part of the fun. Um, so shall we talk about some games? Maybe just go around Robin and talk about what we've been playing on these things. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I guess I can kick it off because I bought this thing first and the game that I sort of fell in love with on it that I was playing. And I ha- I believe I've mentioned this a little bit on the podcast already, but you know, part of why I bought this was Game Boy games in particular, because I have other devices, actually quite a few, including actual Game Boys that can play Game Boy games. Um, but I wanted something that would run ROMs, that would be hassle-free, that would let me do save states, and that would have a nice, bright, backlit screen. Um, I didn't have anything with that combination. So um, what I was most excited about this for was just straight-up Game Boy stuff. Like I mentioned with the Playdate, like I, I played some Game Boy games and the really, frankly, terrible Game Boy emulators on the Playdate, and was like, I just need a better Game Boy device. Um, and so... Uh, picking this up, the first thing that I gravitated towards was uh, Kirby games. All of the Kirby games on Game Boy are incredible, and there are quite a few. There's Kirby's Pinball, uh, there's Kirby Block Ball, and then there's both of the Kirby uh, Kirby's Dreamland games. All of the Kirby, and I'm probably missing one or two. Um, all of the Kirby games on the Game Boy are phenomenal. But the one that I ended up gravitating towards the most was one that I'd never played before, and that's Kirby's Block Ball. Hmm. Uh, Kirby's Block Ball is a basically a spin on um, Breakout. So if you've played games like Breakout or Brickout or any of the other things where you're basically like bouncing a ball with a paddle, but it's not Pong in the two-player sense. It's more like just break all of the things. Um, it's that, but with the Kirby twist. So um, Kirby is the ball, of course. And of course. Um, 
in depending on the screen, uh, you might have one paddle just at the bottom of the screen, or you might have two pot, two paddles at the top and the bottom of the screen, or you might have four paddles at all four sides of the screen. Dear God. Uh, <laughs> I know. And uh, you're controlling all of them with the D-pad. So like left and right will control like left and right on the top and bottom uh, paddles and, and up and down controls the side paddles. Um, and then there's twists, of course, because it's Kirby. So like you're not just bouncing the balls. You can hit a button to kind of like give Kirby some extra oomph and he gets big and, and floats differently and does a little extra damage to some of the different types of of, uh, of bricks. Um, there's power ups that you can collect and they can do things like let Kirby suddenly turn into a lead weight that falls through the bro- the blicks, br- blicks, bricks, the blocks uh, more quickly or like flame sort of fireball powers lots of different ones um but at its core it basically just is a really fun version of a brick breaking thing with occasional like boss battle type things but it's you know it's basically like exactly what you expect it's like a really nice version of breakout on the game boy uh with a kirby theme and i had so much fun with it I, I it was one of those things that like it was it was running on my Miu Mini. One of the nice things about the Miu Mini, uh, at least with um, there's different software options for these types of devices. The um, the Mini UI software um, is really nice in that like if you're running a game and you power off the device, it saves your state and immediately resumes your state exactly where you left off when you power it back on. Not a given with all of these types of devices. Sometimes they're a little more complex than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this was straight up just running on my Miu Mini for about a week. And I played this game start to finish. And it's the first time probably since I was, uh, I don't know, pretty young. First time, first time since, uh, since my actual Game Boy owning days that I've straight up beaten an original Game Boy game, um, you know, got the title, the like the end screen and everything. And I was, that was really exciting. And it's a pretty short game. Like the, uh, the Kirby games were all pretty short. Um, but this one in particular, I think there were like nine or 10 uh, zones. And each of those is maybe like six or eight screens. So it's not, not a lot. It's pretty manageable. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it. So that would be my first recommendation. I am thrilled by this recommendation. I've never heard of this game, um, but I am very thrilled for it. I, I confess the first thing I did pick it up is I, I went and played Pokemon Pinball. <laughs> <So I'm laughs> you know, trash. not a bad choice. I love all pinball games on the Game Boy. I was I, I maybe talk about a couple others at this, you know, at some point during this, but like the Kirby Pinball is another absolute banger. Um, and, and Hal also had, uh, a, a pinball game called uh, uh, Pinball Revenge of the Gator for the Game Boy, which might be my favorite. That's game a great game name. Of all time. I've also heard yeah. good things about Devil's Crush, which I oh, believe yes. is it's so, incredible. I think there's going to just be a wealth of boards. Um, I, that's kind of my pick up and play. I have five minutes um, go to, but I also uh, these are a bit of a stretch for short game. I've mostly been playing uh, Zelda's. All the Zelda's are sub 20 hours so they're not short enough for an episode but like well you know what we're talking about on this episode isn't really our our typical beat it's more in the like fitting games into your life kind of zone and And so i think i think we can be flexible here it doesn't have to be 10 hours or less if we're talking about stuff you can play on a little game boy yeah so there's Link's Awakening, which is about like 15-ish. Um, I has playing Oracle of Ages, which is like this weird pair game where there's two different games that were like halves of each other. Um, but I chose Minish Cap, which is, um, well, I'm going to call him Link, but it's not Link in this one. This is one of the ones where it's like in a parallel universe where you're just a child with all the, it's not really Hyrule, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um the Minish are a race of uh, little people that can only be seen by human. And uh, to save the kingdom, you get a little sentient hat, which you find out later is a wizard that's been turned into a hat that you wear. Is it Cappy? It's basically Cappy, (laughs) but you can't capture people. You shrink down to tiny size and then you can do the puzzles Mm, from a tiny size. So it's, it's got that like retracing the world element that you play in Twilight Princess when you're like, oh, I'm a wolf now. And you can just do different things in the same place. Um, But now it's, you can do the same thing, but you're tiny. 
Like, oh, you're tiny. You can't push the bookcase. But if you put the bookcase when you're big, you can walk across the top and get to a secret area. Like, lots So it's a Metroidvania then. It's a, it's a link Metroidvania. <laughs> yep. Um, All Zelda games are Metroidvanias. <laughs> All Zelda games are Metroidvanias. Um, that's, that's the secret. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's very puzzly because it's a Zelda and because it's like, if you're little, you can do X. If you're not, you can do Y. Um, it's this very is a game fun. I've been wanting to play for years. I li- I think I even own it. I think I have the Game Boy cartridge and like it's bought it at some point, planning to play it, and I never too. got around to it. Yeah, it's it's the art is really cute. Um, there is a bit of a bigger collecting element of these kinstones where you like run around and get them, and you have to pair them with people, which I can feel is going to get old because I'm not a collectible person, but I'm okay with it because I think it's mostly optional. Um, Zelda games always end up having some crap like that, you know. Like the, I'm, I always remember like um, probably my favorite Zelda game, uh, Link Between Worlds, on the 3DS. Mm-hmm. Um, has that? Yeah, it's an amazing game. We did a whole episode on it, by the way. Yeah. Folks, that was deep in the back catalog, but maybe one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So if folks are interested, uh, go I back. I think and that look was a three-hour episode of an now, hour in. Yeah, I yeah. threw up, and you had to edit me out. Oh, well, we had. <laughs> We had Gary Butterfield from Watch Out for Fireballs, and it sort of morphed into a Watch Out for Fire- Fireballs style episode where we uh-huh. ever because none of us could. Well, okay, none of us. I couldn't shut up. We basically did the Watch Out. For I Fireballs wouldn't have shut up if hour, I hadn't uh, had food poisoning. Oh, God, yeah. I forgot all about that, Laura. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, like it, it was. Mo- it was many years ago, but listeners, it was, um, yeah. But that was, was that was a good one. Um, the reason I brought that up was I remember that game had those little shrieking uh, squids or whatever. Oh. And there's like 99 of them in the game. Um, and it was an optional collectible. But I, I did end up like hunting through that game. You'd, you'd enter a screen and then you'd hear the sound of one of the shrieking squids going. <laughs> and like you either had to just listen to it or you had to go and find it. Um, well, if you're going to make a collectible, you might as well also make it annoying as fuck. So, yeah. if, you know. Yeah. Well, this one isn't annoying. It's just like every, you walk up and you get something. It's like, you got a kinstone. It's half a thing. And you have to walk up to everybody and like ask to like, are you Mike sign basically? And I hold up the kinstones and try to match them. You want this um, rock? You, you want this one? Yeah, you, you want, want this, this one? Huh? Huh? Um, <laughs> okay, but cool. overall, it's it's really quite lovely the art is um very cute very detailed um and i think it's i was happily surprised they use shrinking to do things like you can climb inside of bosses heads and that kind of thing like doing That's a boss fun. level where you do things in big size and small size it's really making the boss battles more inventive than they sh- like most zeldas are hit them three times they go into a bad mode you need to hit them three more times <laughs> You know, it's a bit of a sidetrack, but like it still boggles my mind that Nintendo doesn't do more with the back catalog of Game Boy Advance games. Mm-hmm. There's so many people have so much love for that console. The Game Boy Advance, you know, it was relatively short lived because the, the, you know, the DS came in and ate its lunch, but it was like an incredibly nice console, has a, a great catalog of games, some incredible games that are like directly tied to current properties. We talked about this when we talked about like like Metroid Dread and Metroid, uh, what is it, Fusion? Mm-hmm. Um, like the direct sequel is out and there is no official legal way to go and play Metroid uh, Fusion. Um, and, you know, they, they it would be a perfect fit on the Switch. It would run fine on there. There's zero question that it would emulate perfectly fine. Um, the controls and screen are fine. They don't have the weird challenges they have with things like re-releasing like DS games where there's, there's nothing that has that arrangement of screens and buttons um, or even like GameCube stuff where like the weird controller or N64, they put N64 on the switch, but Game Boy Advance is not on the switch. And it makes no sense that they don't have a, a clear, like here's how you get access to these games story. Uh, for the GBA, a, a, a huge, great library of awesome stuff that could run on anything and there's no way to get it, which is why I don't feel like, <laughs> I mean, you know, some people may hear this episode and there, there's people with, with who have, I think, a little holier than thou kind of uh, view of of like ROMs and and emulation. 
uh, especially when it comes to Nintendo uh, and like first party Nintendo properties. Um, and to them, I say like, yeah, come on. <laughs> um, but like, especially when it comes to something like, like GBA. To them, I say, yeah. how else am I supposed to play this? Especially with the retro market being godsmackingly expensive during the pandemic. Yeah. If you wanted to go out and play, um, you know, uh, sorry, minus minish cap. Um, I'm pretty sure the game would cost you like 60 bucks or so for just the cart, maybe even more. I haven't looked at prices on that in a long time. Um, but then of course you'd also need an actual GBA. Um, many of those are in bad shape and the ones that are not in bad shape are expensive. So if you wanted like a, you know, a backlit GBA or device that could play GBA games there, you're probably in a hundred bucks or more minimum. Um, just to be able to like pay a premium for used games and that money isn't going to Nintendo. It's Oof. going to whoever is reselling those games. First so, search was 120 and 85. So like, Oh my God, it's yeah. not a good time. Maybe I should sell my cart. <laughs> uh, I've never played it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird scene. And like, does that mean there's anything like morally superior about like downloading these ROMs and, and then paying a Chinese company to sell you a, uh, a piece of hardware to play them on? Um, you know, as opposed to paying Nintendo, like, no, it's not like we're saying we have a morally superior stance or anything here. It's just practicality. If you want access to these games, uh, and there there is a you know an argument like that these games should be available. You know, it's not like anybody's books are are disappearing off of the shelves because they're they're you know like this is an art form that needs upkeep and needs porting and emulation and things like that in order to continue to be relevant. And um, I don't know. I, I, this is another area where I should. Uh, Patreon content. Shut up, <laughs> um, <laughs> what have you been playing, Nate? <laughs> yeah. Nate, go ahead. Well, you two have been talking about some major franchises, right? Kirby, Zelda. So I thought I'd come in with a lesser known retro franchise. Um, little character named Mario. <laughs> mm, deep cut. <laughs> Yeah, so I've been playing a couple different things, but um, to keep on trend with what you all have been talking about, one of my favorite games of all time, a game that I, I as a as a kid, I probably spent more hours playing than any other game. And something that I've like, I talked about at the beginning of the episode, a game that I've tried to go back to multiple times, but it never felt right on a computer or like, you know, pairing my DualShock 4 to play it or something like that. It just never felt good. And um, but it's one of my favorite games of all time. And it is uh, Mario Brothers three, you know, arguably the best Mario game of all time. Some people would argue differently, but uh, definitely in the top couple. And uh, I have a goal of beating every single level, you know, no whistles, nothing. Mm. I want I want to beat every single level on Mario three, which I don't think I ever did as a kid. I liked using the whistles to at least get past some of the of the world. So I have uh, been playing that only recently started this this sort of quest. But the uh, the the ease of being able to save it, you know, save state, put it away, play something else and go back to it has been has been really, really nice. So um, to me, that's one of the nice things about this console and, and the whole thing we're doing here is going being able to go back and play a game like that one that I loved, but have not been able to really re-engage with because I didn't have anything that felt good to play it on. So it's been fun. Um, similarly, I've also, we talked about it on the last episode, but I've been playing some Tetris, nice. which is nice. Yeah. Uh, Reagan threw out a bunch of great recommendations for, for like more advanced Tetris games last uh, episode. But uh, honestly, I have just been playing OG Tetris. I, do, I, I thought I would get back into it with that. And once I feel good and competent at that, maybe I'd add in some of the newer ones that give you some of those additional features, additional you know move sets or whatever. But um, I've just been having fun playing original Tetris. It's a very satisfying thing to just, uh, you know, got I'm at work or whatever, and I've got. 15 minutes in between a thing I'm going to pick up and see, see how I can do. And, uh, it's been nice. Yeah. Just, uh, just calling back. Like I did talk about 
the uh, Rosie retrospection ROM hack for Tetris on a previous episode. But in case you missed that one, because it was, it was, you know, what's making us happy buried at the end of the episode. Um, there's a bunch of different ROM hacks of Tetris, but the one that is probably the one to beat is if you like the look and feel of the original Game Boy Tetris, but you find yourself missing any of the more modern features that are present in more modern Tetris games, things like the ability to hold a piece uh, or the ability to see multiple upcoming pieces rather than just one. Um, uh, and some of the stuff about how the, uh, how pieces stick, like, you know, how, lo- how many times you can spin something when it, when it's, you know, on the, you know, on the deck or whatever, um, before it kind of locks into place. A lot of other little things about Tetris that, um, are different in more modern Tetris games than they were in like whatever, like 1985 or whenever the Game Boy Tetris came out. Um, Rosie Retrospection is a Tetris uh, fan-made ROM hack. You provide your own uh, ROM of the original Game Boy Tetris, and you apply this this hack to it, and it looks just like original Game Boy Tetris until, unless you look closely and realize there's all these additional features that make it play like a modern Tetris. It's really wild. It's amazing they were able to do it, and so yeah. I recommend that to everybody who likes Tetris. It's great. I'm yeah. pretty terrible at Tetris, but it's great. That would probably make me better at the Tetris effect because I played okay. so much OG Tetris that when I got that, I was like, "What are all these? What's all those extra shenanigans?" Yeah, yeah I don't know if you remember on our Tetris effect episode, I was like incredibly embarrassed by Shane being like, "Yeah, the the hold feature," and I was like, "The what?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've never I have never played a modern Tetris. I think the only Tetris I've ever played is the original Game Boy or the original Nintendo uh, mm-hmm. Tetris. And so I, I, I think all those other features, you know, sound great. And I look forward to exploring them. But I thought I should start with what I know and I'll and I'll build from there. Once you're uh, sick of the OG in like 10 years, you'll be yeah, right. modern. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's been it's been nice to play. Uh, you know, like I said at the beginning, some of these original games that I that I loved and haven't played since they were contemporary. Another thing that I really was excited about with the uh, with the Mew Mini was that I've been looking for honestly years for something that would be like a nice little device for playing Pico 8 games on. Uh, I talked about Pico 8 when we were doing the episode about the Playdate. Um, and, but just to briefly recap, Pico 8 is what's called a fantasy console. It's, a, it's an idea that I don't think they originated, that, but it's probably the most popular of this kind of thing. It, it's a software you know, application that is a kind of a development environment for, for game developers to build games that has a bunch of uh, constraints that are similar to what you might get if you were programming for a retro console, but this is not something that was ever an actual physical hardware retro console. So Pico 8 games uh, run in the Pico 8 app or whatever, and also you can be embedded on web pages, which makes them really easy to share. And they are uh, games that have like a limited color palette, but it's a really like carefully chosen and cute, attractive color palette. They have a limited resolution. I think it's 128 by 128. Um, limited buttons. It's, you know, it basically pretends that you are playing with a controller with two buttons and like a start button or something um, and a D-pad and um, a bunch of other constraints as well. It has its own like music creation tool where it, it, you know, it has a particular sound to it. And in any case, a lot of developers use Pico 8 as just sort of like an inspiring way to make little small restricted games um, or sometimes even to prototype larger games, just sort of a place where, you know, a tool where you can create games uh, with a relatively low uh, you know, barrier to entry. Um, but one of the things that's kind of annoying to me about Pico 8 is that it is proprietary software. It's not like something like an emulator where most emulators are open source and they can be ported to everything. Pico 8 is a product of a company called Lexoffle. Um, and of course, they you know, deserve to be paid for their incredible work creating this incredible piece of software that's used by thousands of people. Um, but uh, they have ported their Pico 8 software to just you know, Mac, PC, Windows, or, you know, Windows Linux. Um, it runs on Raspberry Pis, whatever. But it's not open source, which means that it, it can't just easily be ported to just anything. And so there is somebody that made a kind of Pico 8 emulator like a like a re-implementation of pico 8 that doesn't have all of the features but runs most pico 8 games called fake 8 and that is what's installed 
or can be installed on the Miu Mini. So I wasn't wasn't sure what the experience was going to be like going into that, but I was excited for the idea of being able to play Pico 8 games on something that would feel like a little Pico 8 handheld, right? Like it feels kind of kind of brings the fantasy console to reality by letting you play these games in a way that feels kind of more like a native experience for them. So you've got a fake console being fake being you've got a fake emulation of a fake console on a fake tiny game boy exactly it's just absolute nuts levels of fakery going on (laughs) um but like i can report that it's okay it's not my favorite experience on the uh on the uh the device things certain things like the uh like save state feature that work in all of the emulators don't work when you're running pico 8 games Um, but most of the stuff works well um and i was able to play uh, uh, quite a bit of a particular Pico 8 game that I was really excited about. And this is a game called Super Crane, or perhaps depending on where you're looking, Super Crane Bug. Um, I'm a little confused about the naming because on the itch.io page for this game, it's just called Super Crane. But inside the game, it's called Super Crane Bug, or seems to be because there's like a big logo that says Super Crane Bug. And then also the download is called Super Crate dot. Uh, p8 or whatever so i think maybe there's some there you know went through some revisions with the names but in any case uh super crate is a puzzle game and also again we just talked about tetris this is a kind of a thing that i like playing on small handhelds like this but it's really inventive um it it if you've played um any of the like uh, Tetris attack or um, like panel to pawn, the kind of games where they're rather than blocks dropping down from the top of the screen, they're instead kind of pushing up line by line from the bottom. Mm. And you're having to make matches in order to clear uh, boxes before they reach the top of the screen. It plays a lot like panel to pawn or games like it. Uh, also known as Puzzle League. That series has bad naming issues. But what's really cool about this is that there are these special gems, and when you match them, it changes the rules of the game. So each time you match one of these special gems, it changes between six different uh, tools that are available for moving the blocks around. It starts with one called Swap that lets you move blocks horizontally and it works almost exactly the same way you would expect from something like Panel to Pawn or Tetris Attack, you know, the, the games that have this kind of arrangement that you expect. But once you make a match, then it switches to the crane, which works entirely differently. You can only grab one box at a time, and it, it only works like a crane. You can lift things up vertically and put them down, but you can't move them around within the stack. You, know, you have to kind of lift something up and out of the stack before you can move it left or right to put it down. Uh, then you, if you match again, it gives you the drill where you can rotate a set of four of the boxes and that works anywhere on the grid. So you can kind of go in, but it does a kind of a a rotating scramble of boxes that doesn't move things around upwards or downwards or whatever. It just sort of rotates them. Uh, then there's the shovel, which does a weird thing where you click on, or you select a block and rather than choosing where it goes, it just sort of like digs it up and it goes flying and lands someplace random at the top of the stack uh, and like clears that space and everything cascades down. And then uh, after that, there's the wagon. You can hold a button to move a two by two space horizontally. And then finally, there's a hose uh, where it swaps the positions of things as you move around and you can't turn it off. So rather than grabbing a box and moving it around, as you move, things are automatically moving. You kind of, it's like, it's as if you were like, you, you were moving things around and you can't let go. Um, so each of these is its own totally like weird little movement mechanic that would be its own whole puzzle game, but it kind of feels like a puzzle game where like the game that you're playing changes each time you make one of these matches. Um, it's a really wild little puzzle game and I found myself really addicted to it. I was really, really enjoying it. Um, and it's also the first time I've actually spent money on a Pico eight game. Uh, if you want to just play this game on its own, you can go to its page on itch.io and you can play it in a browser. But if you want to download the game to play it in the Pico eight application on your computer, if you're using that, or if you want to load it as a file onto something like the Miu mini, um, you need to download the the game file 
Uh, and to do that, you need to purchase it on itch.io at a $5 minimum, which I was happy to do because I was excited to play this game and I really, really like it. Um, it's a, it's a great one of these puzzle games and it's got this really bizarre twist that just makes it really unique. Um, but yeah, it, it felt cool to go and buy an indie game, uh, and load it onto the Mew mini and start playing it there. Um, I've done the same for a few, uh, uh, you know, indie, uh, what would you call them? Like, you know, uh, NES and other console homebrews, uh, which I don't know if I'll get into in this episode because it kind of is its own whole topic. But like, this is a great device for, you know, we talked about GB Studio for a while, for example. Like, this is a great device for if you want to go on itch.io and find uh, things like Pico 8 games or GB Studio games or, you know, NES homebrew um, you know, there's a, a whole world of those out there that are great games that you can download and buy. Some of them are free, but a lot of them are paid. And, uh, you know, if you want to support the developers, you can download them and run them on a device like the Miu Mini, which feels like a great, uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like that. I like the, like the feeling of like paying for and supporting a developer and getting something then and that I can run on my weird little handheld. So I, I would definitely recommend super crane, AKA super crane bug to people who like um, this style of puzzle game. Uh, and if you don't have a little dingus to play it on, you can play it in a browser. It's, it's just as good there. Well, speaking of Pico eight games, um, I played through the Celeste game that it was originally made on Pico eight. If I understand it correctly, been a while since i've really looked into it but this is where they prototyped yeah. celeste and uh you know it's one of my favorite games of all time and they actually in the main celeste game you can find like a little computer and you can play through celeste pico 8 within full-on celeste which i've done before and uh it was actually the first thing i played through on this uh on the mini uh, like Reagan pointed out, like it, you can't do any saving or anything. So I basically had to just play through all of the Pico eight Celeste. Yeah. By the uh, way, this is a bit of a side note, but Nate, I figured out how to save. Um, oh, it's, well, there's a, there's a bug in the implementation of how they've put uh fake Oh eight onto, and I'm not sure if this is the case for, um, if you're running the quote unquote onion OS, which is like one of the other big firmwares, but at least on mini UI, um, it only saves if you exit to the in the like Pico eight menu before you close it. So if you, if you're in the game, if you're in one of these Pico eight games, if you press start, it brings up a little menu screen and it gives you an option to like exit to the fake eight menu. And if you do that, then it saves. Okay. Well, that would have been helpful, but uh, (laughs) sorry, it's it's all good. I was happy to play through it. And, um, I loved it. I mean, I, I love Celeste and, and the Pico 8 one is um, it, it feels like Celeste. It's pretty remarkable that even with such a low, um, you know, with with the tools that are provided via Pico 8, that they could make a platformer that felt as fresh and as good as the the main Celeste game. It's obviously much shorter. Perfect for this show. My it, it counts your timer at whenever you are like progressing. So I don't know what my actual amount of time was, um, but my clock for beating it was 46 minutes. Uh, it was probably double that, but even still, you know, only an hour and a half to play through all of it has all the main hallmarks of the, of the original game. You're dashing and strawberries indicating more challenging uh, puzzles. And uh, it, it gets pretty complicated by the end, uh, and I was really satisfied with it. So, uh, I, I if you're a fan of Celeste and you have not played the Pico Eight One, I definitely recommend checking it out. Have you checked out Celeste Classic Two? I saw that on there. I've not opened it yet. I I wasn't even sure what it was for the third anniversary of Celeste. After like the game came out, the Celeste team, or at least um, Maddie Thorsten, uh, yeah, it looks like I guess. Maddie Thorsten, Noel Berry, and Lena Rain uh, went back and made a new Pico 8 Celeste game. So it's sort of an unofficial sequel to Celeste. It's a it's a new game. They basically did a I mean, you know, like new levels for their original uh, Pico 8 version of Celeste, but they added some new mechanics too. It's got a grappling hook. What? Um, I love a grappling hook. 
Yeah. And um, uh, who doesn't yeah, love so a grappling hook? More Celeste content for well, you if you want. Well, and uh, also there's a decently famous uh, rum hack, famous that I, a person who doesn't follow this, know of it, which is um, they blend, uh, they take all the Celeste mechanics into Super Mario World. Oh, nice. Uh, Justin's watched people play it quite a lot. Um, well, and get out of here, Mario 3. I know what I'm playing. Yeah, now. you're like, cool. I'm now just going to play. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, there's... The world of Super Mario World ROM hacks is vast and intimidating. I don't really know what the good ones are, but that in particular sounds awesome. I would, I would give that a try for sure. Yeah, if you're into ROM hacks, devices like this are, are incredible. So... I, I I'm vaguely into ROM hacks, but like mostly just in the theoretical sense where I like see that they exist. think that sounds cool. Maybe download the file and then never actually play it. So, um, Hey listeners, if you have ROM hacks that you think are particularly worth checking out, uh, you know, hit me up. I would like to hear about them. Anybody have any last, like we're getting close to our hour, which is I think where we wanted to call things. I have other things I could call out as stuff I've been playing on here, but if anybody has anything in particular, I can rapid fire through a couple of things that I w- I've been playing and think are good on devices like this. Anybody else have anything? I love to hear it. I've just got a list of uh, games I want to try, but that is, I haven't played them. These are just ones that I've kind of always meant to, but I'd love to hear what you've actually played first, see if any of those are on my list. Sure. Well, um, the, the the biggest thing I've been playing on the uh, on the Mew Mini has been uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. I have been a person who I, I like. I've, I've wanted to play Final Fantasy Tactics, and I've even tried to play Final Fantasy Tactics many times over the years. Um, I you know I owned the original PlayStation disc, uh, which I tried to play on my PS2 back in the day, and I I didn't get it at the time. I didn't understand the game well enough to make progress. I got to like Dorder Trade City. Uh, people who know Final Fantasy Tactics will be shuddering at the mention of the name Dorder Trade City. Uh, and my run ended there. And I had many other failed attempts at Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, but this time I sat down and uh, watched some preparatory YouTube videos. Uh, I would recommend one uh, from a YouTuber called Resonant Arc. They also have a podcast that's pretty good. Um, so I've been, uh, I, I watched their video called Final Fantasy Tactics, 10 Tips to Get Started. And that helped a whole lot. Uh, and then I've been kind of uh, flipping back and forth between um, playing levels of that and listening to their podcast where they basically do a textual analysis of the script, uh, which I think is a, a pretty good uh it's really an interesting one to to kind of have that level of um, comparing the different translations and stuff. So highly recommend that. I'm really enjoying Final Fantasy Tactics on here. Um, I'm also playing a lot of little stuff, Game Boy stuff. Um, I found myself really enjoying a a pretty basic Game Boy um, puzzle game called Amazing Tater. Oh. Uh, it is <laughs> such a good name. A dash amazing tater amazing, but I think also they're trying to emphasize the maze aspect there and tater, I guess, because I think the main character, which basically looks like a circle with eyes is supposed to be a potato. I'm not even sure, Um, but it's basically like uh, mazes plus Sokoban block pushing. Um, It's the kind of thing that there were a lot of on Game Boy, but it's a pretty good one. I'm also playing a little bit of uh, of uh, um, adventures of Lolo. Um, I was just sort of going through the HAL games catalog there. Um, if you're looking for something to play on Game Boy Advance, I'm a big fan. There's a, there's so many games on Game Boy Advance. I think we've even done, did we do a Game Boy Advance episode once? I feel like we did. Where we just talked about, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Patreon. If content. we didn't, we definitely intended to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm playing uh Ninja five O which is one of the uh, Game Boy Advance games that I can't afford to buy because it was very rare and expensive, but it's sort of like a, uh, it's like a ninja cop game, if you couldn't guess from the title. And it's uh, <laughs> it's really great. It's like an action oriented thing where you do a lot of like uh, like uh, uh, platforming with uh, with a grappling hook and throwing shurikens and that kind of thing. Really and fun game. Um, played uh, Laura mentioned Devil's Crush at the top. Uh, mm-hmm. This thing is really good for uh, TurboGrafx-16 games. And Devil's Crush is my favorite pinball game of all time. Uh, and also R-Type, uh, I've been playing a little bit of that. There's a lot of great TurboGrafx-16 games, but when I boot up a TurboGrafx-16 emulator, generally I'm going to play Devil's Crush and R-Type. Um, 
And I guess I'll just give one final uh, pitch for everyone to try City Connection. I've had that uh, I've had that uh, rant here on the podcast before, but I'm a massive, massive fan of City Connection, which is on the NES, uh, also an arcade game. I don't believe there's a way to run that on the, the mini, but uh, the NES or Famicom version runs perfectly well. So great game. I've always loved City Connection. I won't bore people with it again here um but yeah it's 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 a great device and if uh if folks have particular uh retro games that they think fit the short game ethos uh, i'm always excited to hear about them let me know uh, anybody else have anything we're basically time but i do want to give a uh one of the things I'm really excited to play that I've never played is a PS1 game, and that is Wrath of the Rapper. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to play that weird dog rapping game, guys, and it's going to be... I, I had that back whenever it was contemporary. I I loved that game. We're going to see how it holds up in the year of our Lord 2022. I, I would be very surprised if it does. <laughs> Laura, you may also want to check out its sequel that, uh, from what I hear those in the know believe is superior and that's um jammer lammy mm. uh, lammy uh is in a rock band rather than uh being a rapper uh basically the same game concept uh, but i hear it's even wilder oh uh, is, is so, it a dog uh lammy no yeah. she's a she's a lamb oh well there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> Guess I should have guessed that. I should have guessed that. Um, <laughs> a little embarrassed I didn't. <laughs> uh, I, I played uh, a little bit of both of those games, and I'm absolutely trash at both of them. I can't make it very far. Those those are like more um, exacting than most rhythm games. Uh, so you really have to be on your toes with with uh, Parappa and Um Jammer Lammy. I mean, if... Uh, anyone wants to give recommendations the other things on my uh to-do list is a uh, i'd like to play a pokemon outside of my experience with red i'd like to play one of the other ones and i'd like to play one of the mario and luigi rpgs oh yeah no i'm i'm playing uh, a little bit of pokemon crystal um i i've been playing um I how picked did that you up. pick which one to play it's it's hard isn't it like you, you um i kind of was just like what is supposed to be one of the good ones on Game Boy Color, right? Mm. Um, they because uh, I was like, I want to, I want something with color, but I didn't want to play one of the Game Boy Advance ones. I wanted something more Game Boyish. So um, Crystal seemed like the one to go with. I might be wrong because I don't, I'm not like a Game Boy expert or whatever. And I'm sure different people have different opinions about which versions are best. Um, at least with that generation, they would generally do like here's the like the red and blue, and then later there would be like the expanded one that was like Ruby uh, Sapphire you know. has Emerald. So right, now I'm right. like, so um, Crystal yeah. is the like you know plus version of I forget was it Gold and Silver? I think Gold and Silver. Sure, um, that sounds. I mean, it honestly, does sound right. Yeah. So um, you know, I just I just grabbed that because. I thought it was I thought it was probably the one to pick if you're playing on Game Boy Color, but I don't actually know. Um, and so far, I've only played maybe four or five hours of it because um, I was playing Pokemon mostly uh, because my daughter suddenly got really into the Pokemon cartoon. Mm. And um, uh, she doesn't want to watch daddy play the boring old Pokemon. She wants me to play um, Let's Go Pikachu on the switch so she can use the touchscreen to pat Pikachu on the head and feed him berries. Ah, um, yeah. Duh. Yeah. So which, you know, fair, she's three. That's the best part of the game. Um, but yeah, I, uh, so I haven't put as much time into that, uh, as I maybe would have. She's pretty bored watching my, my, what is the thing called? My, um, the, you know, the little grass type one that looks like a little like fat dog with a rounded head. Um, She's not Badoof. interested in that at all. It's not <laughs> not the Bidoof. Um, I do love Bidoof, by the Badoof way. Bidoof is a good a good Pokemon. Um, but yeah, she's just not interested in in watching the uh, watching me play. She is she was initially interested and then quickly grew bored by the the Game Boy Color Pokemon. So maybe that'll be another time. Um, Nate, do you have anything you're uh, thinking about? Celeste too. <laughs> yes. If you if you can break yourself away from the expanded into the breach, maybe you yeah, can play right Celeste too. Yeah, I know. There's so many good games right now. It's a good time. Well, I guess we'll leave it there because we've we've had a lot to talk about there. Um, sorry for the missed week last week, folks. I was very sick. You may have noticed Shane's not on this episode. He's very sick now. 
that's what's going around. Um, but uh, we're getting the podcast back moving again. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find us on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, which is where you'll find all the ways to contact us. Uh, we've recently re-hosted the show. Uh, and so things are shaking up a little bit with our website, but it's still there if you go to theshortgame.net. Um Hopefully, the changes I've been making have been invisible to most of you. Um, I've had a couple people tell me that things weren't working, and I did my best to fix them. Let me know if anything's weird for you when you try to play the show anywhere you're trying. Um, and let's see. Uh, you can find us also on Patreon, patreon.com slash the short game. If you want that uh, Patreon content, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll give you the Reagan does a rant about whatever. Um, but we also have other benefits that may actually be attractive to people, including uh, access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show. Great place to chat with me or us or any of us about uh, retro games or old uh, you know, emulator handhelds or just what we're playing next for the show, which we are deciding right after this call. Uh, and if you uh, if you want to catch us on Twitter, we're at underscore short game. And I'm on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTO. And listeners, once again, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.